if you have been socialized into racism and to be a white supremacist and all these things, and you know that, stop crying the guilt part and start doing the work of, that may be what happened to me, but I don't have to be what happened to me. That I can create a new story for myself. Welcome to season three of the Shades of Hope podcast. These are frank conversations between two friends who are committed to the role of the church in the work of racial justice. These conversations will help you understand how Jesus's life and ministry were about justice for all people and will inspire you to actively engage in the work of reconciliation and justice wherever you find yourself. Well, I want to take this time once again. I have the privilege of welcoming all of our podcast listeners and those that may be actually listening to us for the very first time. We are blessed to be in this space on this day, thanking our Lord for another perfect privilege to be alive. And I am excited once again. As you may know, I have a partner in this ministry that I am excited about our partnership and our collaboration. And so Pastor Jeff Krajewski of the Common Ground Church here in the great city of Indianapolis. How are you doing, my brother? I'm doing so good today. It's a beautiful day. We're recording in the summer. It has been very hot here in Indianapolis. Yes, it has been. But today is not quite as hot as it has been previously. It is so good to be with you again for these conversations that you always call sacred. And today is no exception. Awesome. Thank you so much. And to those that may be listening for the first time, I'm the Pastor Clarence Seymour of the New Era Church here in the great city of Indianapolis. And yes, we thank God for a cool breeze that's come Mm -hmm. our way. Pastor Jeff, we are blessed today to have with us an incredible, very informed, impressive young lady that you met at a conference, and I'm looking forward to hearing her. Would you please introduce our guest on this very special day? Yes, it is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Talika McCoy. She's the Minister of Youth at Mount Peace Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. In addition to her congregational role, she hosts Christian studies and talk programming Dr. McCoy is an author, she's a singer, she is a Bible teacher and Bible preacher, and she's the author of three books titled That Child, Preparing for Challenging Moments with Youth, That Day, Enjoy the One You Have, Improve the One to Come, and a children's book titled God Makes Me Smile. And she describes her personal mission as positively impacting lives, healing hearts, and growing faith in Jesus Christ. I, like you said, I had the privilege of meeting Dr. McCoy at an event here in Indianapolis a couple of weeks ago, and I was particularly impressed with her passion and her willingness to be a voice of advocacy for those voices who are not always heard or valued. That kind of was what she added to the conference that I had the privilege of being a part of. And so, Dr. Talika McCoy, we are so honored to welcome you today to the Shades of Hope podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I added the word advocate, and I don't want to impose anything on you, but sometimes you're in the presence of people and their personality, their passion, their gifting, and their calling just kind of come out of them in the things that they naturally do and say. And so I just had this sense that you are a voice for people oftentimes who don't necessarily get hearing in the popular spaces. How would you describe yourself? Well, I can tell you that I remember being a child. And when you're a child, adults usually speak for you because you're a child. (laughs) And I remember adults doing the very best that they could in many ways. But then they did not know what it was like to be my age in that particular year. They knew what it was like to experience childhood you know, through the lens of adulthood. And so even as a young person, I remember thinking when I become a grown up, I want to listen to children. And then if I'm asked to speak concerning children, 
I'll say what they said less than, you know, more so than what I want to say. So I think yeah. that we have a lot of opportunities to say what we want to say, but I want to be sure that if I'm going to be the voice in the room, that I bring these people in with me. So that's how I would describe myself as an observer, a learner, and a person who wants other people to hear a voice beyond my own. That's beautiful. When I think about it, what Dr. McCoy is saying here is as she dwells with children who sometimes are voiceless, and she, you know, looking at how we deal with this thing of privilege, she's humble enough to say, I can learn from these little ones and they need to be heard. And boy, that's exactly what most African-American people are crying out for in America. It's just an equal footing uh, to be heard and to be present, to be seen. And that's what I hear Dr. McCoy saying. Dr. McCoy, am I right on there, kind of? Absolutely, absolutely. I think when thinking about those who are, you know, pushed to the edge of society, the disenfranchised, the disinherited, they come packaged in different forms. And sometimes yeah. it's a it's a child. Sometimes yeah. it's a woman. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, it's a man who has been overlooked or prejudged. Sometimes it's a poor white person. Sometimes yeah. it's a black person. Sometimes it's just simply a non-white person. Sometimes it's just people who experience hate. So I think that those voices, they are crying out, you know, to say, hey, I'm here if you want to hear from me. So when we get the opportunity to be in a particular space and they don't get that opportunity, do we have enough? And I like that word you use, Pastor Moore, humility to allow yeah. them to speak. So you may see me, but I'm bringing them along with me because I know what it felt like before I became Dr. Talika McCoy, PhD. You know, I remember when you people did not even want to hear from me. So now that I get a seat at the table, I'm like, I thank you for having me here. And I'm so glad that I brought like a number of people with me and you're going to hear from them as well because you invited me. <laughs> Pastor Jeff, I got to jump in again. Come on. Dr. McCoy just said something else. Yep. I feel that way with you, that you open doors as a white male leader in our community. And you have the posture that, yep, if I go through that door, I'm going to bring Pastor Moore with me. And sometimes it's the opposite. You know, we sometimes there are doors I can go through that you follow me in. But I love what Dr. McCoy said is that there's some white pastors and some some folk in the white church that are listening to us right now that need to be that bridge to say, hey, you all accept me into this environment, but hey, I want to bring my friend in and I want to create an environment where if you want me sitting at the table, you know, he's going to sit there. She's going to sit here with me. Yep. And it has a lot to do with how we understand the power and the privilege that we have and the way in which we can use it. Mine is oftentimes unearned right? It has to do with the cultural situation that I got lucky to be born into. Yeah. And yet it's still a Christian responsibility to steward the gifts that we've been given, no matter how we got them. And that's what I hear Dr. McCoy saying is that I got these gifts. There's power that I have. I get invited into spaces that not everybody gets invited into, but when I go, I need to be a voice for the voiceless. Yeah. And Dr. Moore, you do that so well. I mean, let's be very clear on the who opens the doors in this city. It is not me. It is you. But you do such a fantastic job at stewarding those gifts that you have earned over a long period of time yeah. with a lot of hard work and a lot of probably disappointment and discouragement, and you have continued to remain faithful and continue to knock on those doors and continue to bring people in who wouldn't necessarily get that hearing. But it's such a beautiful picture of what I believe Jesus did for, for those that he came to, right? He didn't go to the palace. He didn't go to the synagogue. That's right. He went to the wilderness. He went to find the people who didn't have a voice. Wow. Wow. Exactly, exactly. And we're talking a lot about children now. And when I think about it, you know, anyone who's listening now, if you ever wanted to be like Jesus or look like Jesus, you consider Matthew chapter 18, when the adults ask the question, you know, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus did not go to get the teachers to answer that question. 
Jesus did not go to get leaders to answer that question. Jesus took a child and (laughs) he took that child and placed that child in the midst of them and simply said, hey, adults, I know you want to know a lot of things and you know a lot of things already, but the humility that you need is seen in this child. And so that's why I appreciate you all giving me an opportunity to be here because I'm grateful that I still see children. And I I think that as adults, even as we get older, we need to be sure that we still see children. I know we take care of children. You know, I know a lot of people out there, you know, those kids don't pay any bills. I get it. I know you're (laughs) feeding children. I know you take care of children. I know you're rearing children. But right now I'm talking about seeing the child. And that is what Jesus compelled the adults to do in that moment. And so I just appreciate when people like you all, you pastors, the way that you open doors, because really, although we get older, we're still children, right? In the eyes of God. So it's just important to value the children. Praise God. Well, you work with youth and you have firsthand knowledge of how the events of the last couple of years have affected them. And I think we'd be very interested in hearing what you have observed as you are paying attention and hearing the voices of those who are younger and how they have handled all of the different social and economic and cultural crises that we've been going through. Well, I can tell you that there's one little boy, he's five years old, and since the pandemic, he wasn't able to, of course, fellowship with his little friends the way that he wanted to. But now things are coming around, and so they were able to have their graduation. This is a five-year-old. And his grandfather told me, he said, I tell you, Dr. McCoy, Aiden was, he had mixed emotions. He said Aiden was excited because he was graduating, but at the same time, he was crying because he hadn't seen his friends in so long. And so I thought about the impact of that type of separation. You know, it wasn't something we wanted to do, but it was something that we had to do. And how that little five-year-old has a gap in his experience when it comes to making those solid relationships with peers. So what I have found is that some of our kids are lacking, you know, they were already using what, like phones and texting a lot, you know, it wasn't a lot of, you know, necessarily need, I guess, for face-to-face interaction. You know, they could talk (laughs) to, they could see one another on their phones and all those things. So we were already a technologically based world for the most part, but then the pandemic happened and it wasn't a choice anymore. So I think that a lot of our kids are trying to find their footing in maintaining those healthy relationships. And the fact is, some of them have returned to school and their friends who are older have graduated. So they'll never have that type of an experience again with that particular person. Not to mention in our congregation, we separate our kids according to age for Bible study. Well, my Mm -hmm. high schoolers have graduated now. So whenever people come back, you know, it's going to be like, oh, my goodness. And I even had some of the older kids mentoring the younger kids. Mm -hmm. And so just that experience will be no more because my high schoolers are going to college in August. Right. Absolutely. Milestones are really important as we think about the development of children. And when you take major milestones out, when they're not allowed to experience those milestones, there's a loss as you guys are coming back into gathering, how have you sort of helped to navigate the loss that is just, it's real for all of us, but you know, it happens differently for children and youth. Well, we've had Zoom sessions and we have a dedicated principal, for example, who has been on to talk to them about what their next steps are. And in that space, they've even been able to talk to one another. We've even had a few outdoor events. You know, at Easter, we had an event. You know, we were outdoors and they were able to gather, you know, that way and and share a meal. We've had drive-in movie experiences. So just being creative and really, like I said before, listening to the voices of the young people to see how their church can help them. I mean, how is your congregation helpful to you? 
And I've just, in the past, just raised certain questions. You know, the same questions you're asking me, which are great questions. I've asked the young people, you know, what mm -hmm. ways can we serve you? How can your church serve you? And I make sure that they're able to connect with me, you know, as their support. And, you know, even talking to their parents and thinking about what people actually need, because we know that every child is different. You know, some of our children are introverted, so they're not really, um, you know, <laughs> as strained right. as other children. So, you know, to assume that every child is like having some type of a traumatic experience because they can't gather is erroneous because some kids are introverted and they're fine. They're working through, it, you know, <laughs> and then we have some kids who are more extroverted and they do want to do more things. And so we do things also like involve them in the worship experience. You know, mm. now some of them don't want that type of screen time. They don't want to be live streamed on a Sunday morning, you know, mm. so just really meeting them where they are, you know, according to what they report. Because as we know, depending on geography, demographics, and things like that, every kid is different. So yeah. we're just trying to give them the space to really express themselves. And one more thing I'll say that I'm finding is that some of our kids have experienced the loss of some of their friends. I have one wow. young man in high school, his friend completed suicide. And yeah. so navigating with that as well. So between... Yeah. COVID-19, between suicidal ideation and even grief and loss, and the church that I serve is predominantly Black. So then bringing right. that reality in as well, with some of the things that they've seen even in the past couple of years, some of us adults, you know, not having it together. So just all of those dynamics, bringing those together to see what is it that you need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was wondering, Dr. McCoy, how you're handling the trauma that our young people are now seeing as it relates to the racial polarization and some of the injustices that they see. As you're dealing and talking with youth, especially in your arena as far as your youth pastorship, what kind of conversations are you having with young African-American children and they look at the whole the larger world when it comes to race? That's a great question. And it's a question I think that all pastoral leaders and church leaders need to reckon with, because I believe historically race has been an important feature of Western society. And yeah. that has caused and can cause issues for all of us. When we think about race, one of the things that I like to teach our young folks is that race is a social construct. That's so right. that they will understand that when they hear white, they hear black, they hear all these things, you know, even white is a metaphor for power. So yeah. I try to help them to understand that the world has never been white, you know, and that right. they understand that they are inferior to no one. And really bring in people like James Baldwin and James Cone and some of these folks, a black liberation theology where our kids see the black presence in the Bible and not be ashamed of that and understanding geography. You know, when you see the Nile River and you look at a map, where is that? You know, when where you see yeah. uh, Ethiopia, <laughs> where is that? You know, because in the onset, a lot of our kids, you know, they were thinking when I would talk about Africa, they would say, oh, I don't want to go there. You know, they had this perception of Africa being a place where there's all of these, you know, there's cannibalism and there's, you know, they see all these images, you know, and, and everything. And so I had to really work on their young minds, yeah. <laughs> just understanding that you get to choose and be responsible for your life and then change it. So then it's not really a racial problem. It's a you problem. You know, thinking about how are you yeah. going to deal with every human being because the human race is what really matters. So with the kids at the church, I really encourage them to talk about it. But whenever we saw things like the incidences of George Floyd and Sandra Bland and some of the others, I simply, during Bible study, I asked them when thinking about this social terror, you know, the social danger that is visible in the face of cops, you know, for black folks. And the social yeah. danger that is in the face of every boss that you work for or, you know, people as you're driving, you know, as you're followed, as you walk around in a store. When thinking about social terror, our kids are terrorized. Yeah. And so I had a conversation on a regular basis just asking them, you know, what do you think? Like my high schoolers, they were age 14 to 19. And I said, you know, what do you think? I just want to know, how are you feeling? You know, you're in a black body. You know, how are you feeling as you are experiencing 14 years old in a black body? 
19 years old mm -hmm. in a black body. And one of them told me, and this is where I bring their voices into the conversation. <laughs> one of them told me, Dr. McCoy, I'm black. So I try to avoid cops. That's mm -hmm. what one kid told me. And then yeah. another one told me, Dr. McCoy, not all cops are bad. I know that, but I still don't take chances. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then a 19 year old said, well, Dr. McCoy, if all you see is police officers killing and abusing black folks, then what's the first thing you're going to think? <laughs> right. Right. And so they're walking around with this terror inside of their bodies because they have been racially traumatized. And if they talk about it, they're not supposed to talk about it now. They're not supposed to do that. If they talk about it, then it's like, oh, here we go again, you know, with the race card or with this and that. So I try to create a safe space to where I take a holistic approach to serving my kids. So yeah. it's about their spiritual health. It's about their mental health. It's about their emotional health. Those things go hand in hand. So I sometimes just simply have conversations with our kids. I mean, I bring the Bible in there and, you know, these kids are experiencing a social terror that even their parents don't always talk to them about. Yeah. Gosh. I love that terminology, social terror. Yeah. And I love the fact that one thing that Pastor Jeff and I always try to include in our conversations and, and our guests are very good at bringing the fact that our conversations are sacred and they come out of scripture that when we talk about racism or when we talk about white privilege, we tie all of that to scripture. And, and you're right. Our young people can see, you know, I was sitting there thinking, why did those cops in Ohio shoot this black man 60 times? Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, we need to just to stop running. But then it dawned on me, the young man in Highland Park was running too, and he'd already killed somebody. Mm -hmm. They had stopped this young man all because he had, they allege, some kind of broken tailpipe, which is typical police to make those kind of conversations. My point is, our kids are smart enough to see the dichotomy of that, yep. that you can run as a black man and get shot, even though they aren't chasing you because you just hurt somebody. Right. But you can be a white kid running who just murdered people and always there's no shots fired. That tells you where America is in the minds of many of our African-American kids looking at this thing, you know, just rationally. How do you answer that as a professor, as a teacher? Absolutely, absolutely. And one of the scriptures that I reckon with even still as an adult is John 10 and 10, where the Bible tells us that the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. Yeah. But then Jesus is saying, I come that you might have life and not just have life but have it more abundantly. And I'm thinking to myself, well, God, how do I hold the reality of being black in America and feeling like you have to simply survive? Yeah. But then being a Christian where you're saying I'm supposed to live an abundant life. How can I live an abundant life when I'm wow. simply surviving in a society that has already judged me because I wear the badge of black skin? How do I tell these kids <laughs> that they can have an abundant life and they're experiencing in a black body in America. Like, how do you reckon with that? And so you're right. Bringing scripture in is so important. And then kids now, they will question you on these things, you know, and they'll say, <laughs> right. okay, so I just heard you read, you know, John 10, 10. I hear that abundant life, abundant life. But then mm -hmm. I'm watching my back, you know, and, and one kid right. told me I'm not paranoid, but I get nervous if a cop pulls me over. So Absolutely. how is that abundant life when I can't even drive while black? without being completely afraid. How is it abundant life when my family has to have certain conversations with me that my white friend's family, you know, didn't have to have with him. And then we get to right. talking and it's like, what? Y'all talked about that? Oh yes, because I have to make it home. So yep. how do you have an abundant life wow. in a black body, <laughs> you know, yep, in America? Yeah. Amazing. And I think on the other side, the conversation that people in the white church need to have when we finally start to see ourselves in solidarity with our brothers and sisters who are not experiencing abundant life, we need to be able to ask and be honest about the question why. And we need to be okay with the difficult conversation that our abundance oftentimes costs someone else their abundance. And that as Christians, again, let's just go to the scriptures, that we do not have the right as white Christian Americans 
to look the other way when it comes to those who are marginalized and disenfranchised and oppressed because of the system that we have helped to hold and build. And our Christian responsibility requires us in our discipleship to do the work of setting the captives free. I mean, that was the mission statement of Jesus. That's what I've come to do, to, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the abundant life that God has for every image bearer. And wherever there are image bearers who are not experiencing it, we have the responsibility to move into those spaces to help them experience it. And we got to talk about that to our kids. And here's the thing, our youth see that. I mean, Pastor Moore says this all the time, but when the protests are happening in the streets, there's a lot of young white people out there, Absolutely. unusually. Yeah. And so they see that there's a problem. The church is not necessarily helping them to devise theologically correct ways of moving into that space. And because of that, they're leaving. You know, they're leaving in mass numbers. The white Christian young people are leaving the church. And I think it's a lot because we are not doing our work on our side. Yeah. And, you know, last year I had the opportunity to, while the pastor was on sabbatical, I was the pastor to Tualatin Presbyterian Church last summer in Tualatin, Oregon. And the congregants were, were white. And what I love about this particular group of people is that they were intentional about inviting me to pastor them (laughs) um, for those days. And so, because I did ask the pastor, are you sure that you want me? (laughs) Because like I tell people, I am black, black, you know, I'm not going to be (laughs) one of those ones, you know, I'm not going to do that. Are you sure, you know, to, I I just want to make sure. And then whenever I went into their sacred space, you know, I respectfully asked them, you know, what is it that you want to get out of this time that we have together? I want you to tell me what it is that you want to get out of this time. And so they named some things and in accordance to what they named, we were able to walk together. And I tell you, those were some of the best days. Those will go down in history as some of the yeah. best days of my life. But I brought that up to say this. There was one woman who taught me something. She said something in particular. She said, Dr. McCoy, she said, one of the things that I have to work on throughout my life, and this woman may have been in her 60s, and she was a white woman. Mm. And she said to me, she said, one of the things I have to work through is the fact that I was conditioned and or wow. uh, socialized to be a racist. That's what she told me. So, Pastor Jeff, when I hear you say that the white folks need to work on, you know, those things, you know, having the privilege and all those things. I also want to encourage white people to take a lesson from this woman who is a self-proclaimed person who has been traumatically informed by racism, by white supremacy. But it took her to acknowledge it first. So that's the thing. So in order to do the work, we first have to look at ourselves and say, well, before I go try to help those people or I try to go, you know, save the world, have I tried to save myself first? That's right. So looking within is what this woman did. And I admired her so much because I did not think about that. So I want to offer to listeners, you know, if you have been socialized into racism and to be a white supremacist and all these things, and you know that stop crying the guilt part and start doing the work of that may be what happened to me, but I don't have to be what happened to me that I can create a new story for myself. You see, although my grandfather or my great grandfather, you know, I have one friend, Justin, who is white out of Florida and his ancestors own and they enslaved people, you know, and with tears in his eyes, he told me the story. And I said to him, you don't have to be the history, you know, of such persons. You know, because all blood folk ain't good folk. (laughs) So it's okay. (laughs) You don't have to do that. And so anyway, (laughs) I just want to extend the narrative because you spoke so well, Pastor Jeff, about that. But then extending the narrative to say that if you have even been socialized to particular things, that doesn't have to be who you are today. Yep. And thank you so much for that correction. And the loving correction too, by the way, I really appreciate extending that. I would just even step back one more step maybe for that and say, how have I been socialized? Right. You know what I mean? And I would just say, I was never asked to ask that question of myself. Never asked to consider it. And I I would add to that. I would say, Dr. McCoy and Pastor Jeff, not if you have, because they have been. That's right. I mean, that is America. 
And I noticed people stop saying that. That's the, that's just not American. Well, maybe that is really who we are <laughs> yeah. when stuff happens. And so it, I, even that conditional word, if, no, I mean, that's a nice word to make someone come along. But really, you have been, darling. And let's just face it. I remember a neighbor came over, Dr. McCoy. And listen, the listeners, do not turn me off because I'm going to mention a name. Because, again, we are conditioned to think certain things. And so... But when President Obama was running for president, a great friend of mine, he and I, white brother, lived next door. We used to have the keys to each other's houses and everything. And, and he came over and he was so concerned. Because he said, I don't know why I can't vote for this man. I can't find anything wrong with him, but I just can't vote for him. <laughs> and I said, it's because it's the racism in you. And he was so offended that I said that. I said, well, let me explain. Because, you know, you and I can talk very transparent with one another. And we talked about his socialization. How can I accept when I've been taught all my life that there's no way that a black man could be in the White House? <laughs> and he came back a few years later and came and said, we had coffee. He says, I want to thank you for challenging me there. You hurt my feelings, but you really, you really <laughs> took me there. And I, I appreciate that woman coming to you, Dr. McCoy, very transparently and saying that, wow, you had kind of changed her world. And proximity did that, right? Absolutely. And I mean, she changed my world as well because, you know, yes. I hear a lot of white people talking about doing the work, but I just hadn't heard such a deep confession of this is part of the work too for me. <laughs> you know, I just hadn't heard that. And it was James Baldwin. I love reading James Baldwin, that great Absolutely. author. He said that not everything that is faced can be changed but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Wow. Yeah. So that woman really helped me and she helped me to look within myself as well. And I tell you, I have done the work when it comes to white men. You know, I always thought that white men just had it made. I mean, everyone I knew, you know, they're, they're good. I mean, if you, yeah. you take a white man, even on the street or one who has murdered people or robbed banks wow. or something like that, and you put, him on a suit and then you take my brother and put him on a suit and you stand the both of them up somewhere and say which one of these have been in prison more than likely we're going to say it's my brother you mean even you right so i've even had to look <laughs> and i'm so grateful that i have more male Absolutely. white friends yeah to tell me their lived experience because it's not fair for us to also you know, think of every one of them, you know, as the same. Oh, you know, he, his dad enslaved people, or you know, he doesn't like white people, or you know, you don't know anything because you don't know that man. That's and right. so I too have had to look within Good myself point. and do the work. And I'm still doing it so that I will know that not only do we have allies, you know, people who want all of us to truly come together, but we have people who don't just want a token experience. They actually want to be your friend. You know, the token experiences are like, you know, you have a potluck at work. And so the black people, the white people, the Hispanic people, everybody gets together. Yeah, and we right. do that because we all work together, right? Right. Or... Or you have a guest white preacher come to your church or black preacher come to your church. Those kinds of transactional things. Uh, right. But there are actually those of us who want to go yeah. beyond token experiences. And that's why that's I admire right. the two of you. I really do. Praise this is a God. real experience. And that's why, you know, I said that I would be in this sacred space. I just thank you for having me here. I really do. I respect yeah. this. Yeah. I think to uh, those listeners who are part of the African-American community, Dr. McCoy says something really critical and that I think we should listen to. And that is that we have been culturalized also. Mm. I never will forget. I took that implicit bias test, Dr. McCoy. And when my results came out, I was so angry at me mm. because I have drank the Kool-Aid of America. Mm. Mm. I too. Mm -hmm. White is right. Mm -hmm. White ice is colder. Mm -hmm. All those things that I talk against and fight against because I, too, am a product of a socialization that has formed me even in all of my, that was like 20 years ago before. I'm much more aware now, but I had to go through a process of weaning myself. I was telling Pastor Jeff, I've got a new terminology now and I'm getting in trouble by saying this. And I'm calling a recovering evangelical. Mm -hmm. And a recovering evangelical is someone like Pastor Jeff. 
Dr. McCoy, help us. Help us create a seven-step program for recovering evangelicals <laughs> who really are trying <laughs> to let go of the drug and the intoxication of white privilege. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you help us write that book? Well, let me tell you, you know what? There's one book in particular that has, uh, oh yes, oh yes. You, you may already know about this book, but it is a great start. It's Survival Strategies, and it's by Dr. Naeem Akbar, and it's huh. entitled From the Browder Files, and it's about 12 essays, I believe it's 12, but it is Survival Strategies for Africans in America. But the book is profound for all of America. It really is because what it does is it helps us to see how slavery, you know, the bloody transactions of slavery, the residue is still here. And it had a work on all of us collectively, regardless of this social construct we call race. And so that book in particular, you know, it's not really all of our fault, but it's all of our fault because Pastor Moore the reason why you're like that and I'm like that and Pastor Jeff is like that is because we've heard terms, for example, like when we think about, he talked about this in the book, when we think about black, anything yeah. related to black has always been negative, a negative conversation. Right. I mean, you right. hear, he talks in the book about black ball. You've been black ball, right? He talks about black male, right? He talks about <laughs> you're the black sheep. You know, of the family. And then if you are of a religious persuasion, you've always heard, oh, your sin is as black as sin, but the Lord will wash you as white. There it is. (laughs) So then... You subliminal messages. There you go. Those subliminal messages. So, (laughs) so it's like it's our fault and it's not our fault. It's everybody's fault and it's nobody's fault. That's why I'm saying it's a personal responsibility that we must adopt to say, I have seen these things now. Now, maybe I didn't see it, you know, before Pastor Jeff and Pastor Moore started doing these podcasts. I didn't see it until they started doing this. I, I really didn't see it. But what you've seen, you cannot unsee. So then because you cannot unsee, now on, it's up to you. It's not up to your ancestors. It's not no. up to pastor. It's no. not up to the president of the United States. It's not up to lawmakers. That's no, right. it's up to you as you walk through your day mm. to say, I see now. And now that I see, I'll be a better me. Yeah. That's how we change America. Wow. That is powerful. Yes. That's such a powerful image because we say, well, who am I to make a difference? Well, one person can make a difference just as one bad choice affects all of America. Mm -hmm. A multiplicity of good choices could also bring healing to our country. Could you give us that resource again that you mentioned? Anthony Browder. Anthony Browder, and he has different books. You're going to want to get both up. There's actually two. Anthony Browder from the Browder File. I should have brought it. It's like right over there on my shelf. Praise God. Uh Those 12 essays you were talking about? Yes. uh Uh-huh. You want to get that. And then the other book that I will offer to us is to read Dr. Naeem Akbar. He has a book entitled Breaking the Chains of Psychological Slavery. And Mm. what he does in that book is he enlightens us to the goings-on around us. Even when it comes to media and how it sways our minds toward particular things. Like, for example, I learned from him, Dr. Naeem Akbar, I learned from him even the texture of my hair. My hair is natural hair. I choose to wear it in locks. Well, once I read his book, I noticed how when I would watch the Pantene commercials and, you know, for shampoo and conditioner and things like that, I realized, wow, America, you're actually not thinking about me. Like when you say, uh, get the frizz out. My hair is naturally frizzy. So you're telling me, you know, there's a subliminal message that there's really something wrong with the texture of my hair. Like after I read that book, I started to look at all these images. There's no wonder that I thought that I was less than. I didn't need a slave master on a horse, you know, whipping me. (laughs) All I needed to do was turn on my television because what it was telling me that everything about me is contrary. 
You know, it's, wow. it's just amazing, even down to the texture of my hair. Even though the Bible talks about Jesus having hair like wool, and when yes, you look at my wool. hair, it is like wooly. And I was like, oh my goodness, but that's a problem. So those are the <laughs> kinds of things, you know, for me to do work. I want to help you, but I have to help myself, you know, to liberate my own mind. Absolutely. You know, before I can start to say, you know what? There is nothing wrong with you. You're really okay. Like God yeah. didn't make a mistake. But I had to see that first. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Wow. That's good stuff. Yeah. Well, I think that one thing we've tried to do in our conversations is speak to all of our audience. And whether it's our Hispanic brother or Native American, white or black, Asian, we hope that our conversations are teaching all of us that we all have some work to do. And what Dr. McCoy is bringing to light is that not only should our white brothers and sisters be thinking that the scriptures require uh, that we take these steps and, and walk closer to the call of Christ in our lives, but we must also, as African-Americans and others who are in the marginalized communities, the under-resourced communities, we must also do some work along the way. And I think that is good admonition for all of our listeners. Yeah. We had a guest on who wrote a book called Rediscipling the White Church. And really that's what his premise is that white Christians have been discipled in a racist, white supremacist way of thinking yes. about not only the world, but their God. Yes. And when you have a theological construct that is formed in that way, everything that you do and say gets somehow blessed because of the God who you've constructed to give you that way of thinking about the world. And his premise is that the role for the white church is that we have to re-disciple ourselves in the actual way of Jesus. Wow. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I've mentioned James Baldwin before because I really enjoy reading him. But one of the yes. things he said is that history is not the past. He said that history is the present. And what he was saying was that we carry history with us. And he says that we are history. Yeah. So then when I heard what Pastor Jeff said, and that's so awesome, what you said, rediscipling yourself, you recognize that history. And when you recognize it, you say, okay, wow. So then if we are history, this is who we are today, <laughs> you know, as white <laughs> yeah. folk, you know, in the church, this is who we are. We may not like the fact that we feel bad about it, you know, or whatever, yeah. but this is who we are today. And I say that in the sense of, you know, I have a burn on my arm from when I was a child. And yeah. so that happened in yesteryear, right? But it's with me today yeah. <laughs> because That's I calm. see the remnants of it. There you go, Pastor Moore. The yeah. scar is still there. Yeah. So the problem is not so much that the scar is still there. The problem right. is when I don't recognize that this mm. is something that happened and I can move beyond it and make a new history because my yeah. arm may have the scar, but that's not all that my arm produces. So it wears the scar, but it's still able to produce some things and it's still able to work. So even the white churches, they wear the scar of, you know, like you said, Pastor Jeff, you know, this is a theology that I have this. You've been yeah. scarred, but scars can be healed, yes. <laughs> you know, and Jesus is the balm for such scars. Come on now. So the question yeah. is, are we just proclaiming to be Christians or are we believers? Yeah. Because I think it's easier for America to say that it's Christian than for it to actually walk in the footsteps of Jesus as a believer. Uh, yes. You see, so it's yeah. not just about our mistakes. It's about what we're willing to do. Are we willing to apply the love of Jesus? Are we willing to apply the compassion of our Lord? Are we willing to apply the humility instead of just going to church on Sunday morning? And yep. it seems now that even with our pastoral relations, we're more interested in people being in, in church, having bodies in the church. <laughs> you know, come back to church, come back to church. When they come back, then what? What? Exactly. And that's why some folks, even in my generation, you know, and even people younger than me, of course, they're not concerned about just coming to church. They right. want a real experience. Yes. They want a spiritual experience. They want an emotional experience. They want a, a social experience. When I get to church, tell me in my diatronic disposition that I can be a lawmaker. Come when I get now. to church, I don't like the way that the cops are handling people. I can be a cop. 
Tell me That's right. that I yeah. can be an informed voter. You know, the social justice piece is what a lot of people are missing in the pew. And since they've been gone for two years, they have been informed by so many other outlets. Mm, <laughs> I mean, everybody's truth. become a preacher, right? We've got, <laughs> you know, Everybody everybody's got a, got a word. Oh, yes, we've got YouTube and we've got TikTok and we've got Facebook and we've got Twitter. Everybody has something to say and everybody wants us, right? Why do you want me? And what are you going to do if you even get a moment with me? Wow. Great admonition to us pastors who are missing, in many cases, 50% of our congregation. Then they are still listening, they're online. But the admonition is, you know, how do we begin to create an environment where our young people will begin to feel an affinity and once again to our churches and want to be a part of the movement that we must create in this new reality that we're in, in America. We can't do this without our young people feeling as if they are going to be heard. And as Dr. McCoy's shared with us, going to be seen and be a vital part of the movement of the church going forward. I think that is just great admonition. And one way to grow your church, brothers and sisters who are listening, is to make sure you are about not a transactional way, but in a transformational space of social justice. That's what our young people are crying out for. They went to school with different people. They have been in proximity with different cultures. Yet they come to a, a church that's 99% black or 99% white, and they go, what's wrong with the church? Yeah. And for my white pastors, friends, and Christians, the social justice component of the gospel is not a program to help you capture a market share that you feel like you're losing. It is that's just right. being true to the whole of the gospel. Amen. And that's a learning that we need to step into that the gospel is social because it's from God for the people and God's work is always justice. And so social justice is God's work in the world. So don't try to figure out a way to capture the kids. This is the work that God has called you to do. Yeah, it's a product of the heart and not just the hands and the head. That is such a great admonition, Pastor Jeff. Because if it's a program, it'll be done as soon as you get tired with it. Right. Or you get some criticism. Or you get a little pushback. Pushback, right. But when it's of the heart. That's right. And challenge even these young adults. You know, I had a conference or a meeting with a young adult. And one of the things that was said to me was, Well, Dr. McCoy, one of the things that I would like to see more so is like young adult presence, you know, like a young adult ministry. And so I looked at her and I challenged her and I said, well, who would be the one to lead such ministry? And she looked at me and she thought for a moment. I said, the church needs you. The very ministry, you know, the gaps that you identify are also the ones that you can feel. I said, when you think about a young adult ministry, would you have, you know, a 75-year-old leader? She said, no. I said, when you think about a young adult ministry, would you have a 15-year-old leader? No. I said, well, how old are you? She said, I'm 20 (laughs) years old. I said, hmm, I wonder who should be leading the young adult ministry. So (laughs) I would say to pastor, don't you stop challenging people either because if they can go to the grocery store and they can go to the fairs and go to Jamaica, you know, all of them taking pictures and if they can do all that, they can come to your church. So always (laughs) continue to have that challenge element for people of all generations, all races, because the church has always been the place where together we stood and together we got some things accomplished, even Amen. during the civil rights era. So please continue to challenge these folks when they have something to say about your church. Make sure you have something to say about their presence in the church. Mm. So, so critical as we close out our time today. What Dr. McCoy is saying to all of us is that still, still the church is the hope of the world. And if we're going to do anything to improve our country and our communities, our cities, we've got to do a a better job of strengthening our churches because the church is the hope of the world. That's right. Dr. McCoy, thank you 
for your time, for the work that you're doing in the spaces that God has called you to be in. Thank you for your willingness to share with us a little bit about what is happening. I'm going to put all of the information so that our listeners can find you. Uh, you have a website. What's the website address? I do. Thank you for asking. It's www dot dr talika mccoy dot org and i can spell that for you it's d r t e l i k a m c c o y dot org the real mccoy <laughs> yep. lots of great resources that i was able to see preaching resources teaching resources book resources music resources there's nothing that this woman does not do so check out the work that she's doing there in North Carolina. And again, we thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and for your voice in the work of the church right now in this time. Oh, I tell you, Dr. McCoy is the real McCoy. Ah, there you go. And if you know anything about the story, you look that up, how that terminology come forth of the real McCoy. That's the history behind that. (laughs) And you'd be surprised when you uncover that particular story, what you're going to find. So... And to my sister, man, you have an incredible blessing that we are so glad that you were able to be with us. And I am looking forward to hopefully in the future, we can have you back on our podcast, Doc, and have you spend some more time with us as we travel together in the Shades of Hope podcast. Thank you both so very much. It's been my absolute pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. Well, thanks everyone for another great conversation. As always, if you've enjoyed this, please like us wherever you get this podcast and subscribe. If you have questions, would like to talk with us, would like to give your feedback, you can email us at the Shades of Hope podcast at gmail.com. And we will look forward to seeing you for another episode. Pastor Moore, thank you for being with me and thank you for always the work that you are doing. Thank you, my brother. Be blessed. Be blessed. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Shades of Hope. We would like to hear from you. Send us your thoughts and questions at shadesofhopepodcast at gmail.com. That's shadesofhopepodcast at gmail.com. We would also appreciate it if you could leave us a review and rate us wherever you access this podcast. Thank you again and may God bless you as you follow Jesus and strive to make this world a better place for all of God's children.